Welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host. Joe is off this week, gallivanting somewhere around the world. And in this place, we have Ryan Smith from Award Wallet, former contributor to Miles to Memories and the Points Guy and other places as well. And I guess we shouldn't bury the lead, Ryan. You have now traveled to every country in the world as of December of 2023. So we're going to talk all about that, the history, lots of fun stuff. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, I guess is a better way to put it. Yeah, you've been on the show before. And like I said, you were a contributor to the site for a couple of years, I think. And then you went to the Points Guy. When was it in 2021? I went to the Points Guy in April of 22. So yeah, so then, then from the Points Guy, you were there for what, a little over a year or something. And then you went to the Ward Wallet? 53 weeks. Wow, so you were counting. So I don't know if I should... Dive in a little deeper into the reasoning behind that. Was, I guess this is like enough to make it past 52 and you can make your own assumptions from that. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff uh, with the points guy. I did see that, and this is completely inside baseball stuff. I don't know if we should even talk about it, but uh, they were removing bylines, right? For some authors and you kind of pushed back on uh, that and got them to kind of change their policy and, and do it a little bit better. Yeah, I may have tweeted about that recently. So, I mean, it's, it's nothing, I guess. Two insider was Twitter is public or X, I guess, if you're uh, Twitter 2.0. There was an article that went out that I had written, created the format for, was updating every month about credit card perks that you should remember to use every month. Remember to use your Amex Gold dining credits. Remember to use your Amex Platinum streaming credits. And miraculously, my name disappeared off the article, but, you know, it's pretty easy these days, there are so many tools online that you can just compare versions of an article. And it was still like 95% words that I had written. So it was pretty funny that my name had disappeared. And people came out of the woodwork sending me DMs saying, oh, look at these articles that my name disappeared off of. And so I reached out to my former boss's boss, who I think I still have a pretty decent relationship with, and said, hey, this kind of sucks. This is still mostly mine. And he wrote back and said, that happened while I was off. Should not have put your name back as the primary author. That doesn't speak to other people's claims that their names have disappeared from some articles. But for this one, for mine, worked out well in the end. Yeah, always good. And for people who don't know, articles are updated and you were only there 53 weeks. So there's other people coming in and updating it. And it does make sense if somebody puts a lot of work to update an article to put their name on it as well. So it, it does make sense. And, and I totally agree. I, I've been on both sides of that in this industry since I've you know been around for a while. Here's a great example. Let's say I wrote an article about how to earn Delta status last year or the year before. Now, how you earn Delta status is completely different this year. So if someone who's not me would come along and update that article, they're going to make some significant changes to that article. And if more than half of that content is now theirs, I would think that it would be fair for them to be listed now as the first author. And maybe I'm listed as additional contributing buyer. Different sites referred to it in a different way. I would think that was totally fair. That person would now be listed as the first author because they have done the lion's share of the work when that story goes out and gets published. And I've been on the other side where I have put my name onto something and removed someone else's because it got completely overhauled. The original content is almost non-existent now. It's has undergone such significant changes. And I think that's fair. The point, I guess the key word of that being fair, it should be fair to other writers. And, and I just kind of approach it in the, how would I want someone to handle an update to my article? Then I should approach it the same way. But obviously when you are no longer working somewhere, you don't have control of that as much. So that's tough. But now that I'm an award wallet, that's the approach that we take is who has done most of the writing of this piece when it goes out. Is it still the original author? Is it the new person? And then trying to be fair to everyone because people deserve credit for their work. Absolutely. And I think it's a good topic to talk about just uh, for that reason is people will kind of consume the content and understand it. And then as we move into an age of AI, where a lot of this stuff, especially with companies like Red Ventures, who have said that they want to use AI a lot. I know on CNET they're doing it and I'm sure it's going to keep spreading and become more elaborate. So it's important to, to understand who wrote the original work, put the work in and did that. And I'm glad kind of bringing attention to it. And we don't change a lot of articles on miles to memories. When we do, we have 
probably three or four times changed the art, the author. And that's just because the whole article was completely rewritten using the same shell. Cause sometimes you want to use the same post for search engines and stuff, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm glad to see that, but let's talk about your travel adventures. Cause there's so much interesting stuff to talk about. Now, I think you came to miles to memories. You started out like in the Facebook group, I think, and then got to know Mark a little bit. And then I remember him saying, Ryan wants to write. And we kind of went from there. Did you do any writing before you came to Miles to Memories or were we your first stop? No, never. So Miles to Memories was the ground floor before I became famous. <laughs> As my wife has been saying it recently, because we can get into some of the, like me winding up in the news a couple of times recently. I heard about Points of Miles and joined some Facebook groups to try to learn more and like, how does all this stuff work? And then I remember Miles to Memories posted on Facebook, hey, we're looking for some new writers who have some kind of unique voices to share. So I sent an email probably to Mark, I guess, saying, I like to contribute. I think I have some unique perspectives to share. I was living in Brazil at the time. I wasn't doing kind of the same redemptions that everyone else was doing, which I think has always been a great angle for me to pursue and it helped me be successful in this industry. You see a lot of people going to the same places and making the same redemptions as everyone else. And if that's where you want to go, that's great. But not everyone does want to go there. And it's always nice to have someone offering something beyond just, here's how to get to the Alila Ventana Big Sur. Here's how to get yourself to the Bahamas and all of these other hotspots that you see people going to all the time. So I think that was a great avenue that has helped me a lot. And I mentioned that when I originally emailed Mark, he said, yeah, that sounds interesting. You're trying to go to every country. So I'm sure you'll have some redemptions that other people have never made before. Let's talk about how we met. I was at Disney World and you came from Brazil because you were living in Brazil, as you said, and you had your whole life set up down there. And so you weren't at the, in the States very often. And you happen to be going to Disney World with your wife and I happen to be there. My parents live in Florida. So sometimes when we would go up to visit them at Thanksgiving or Christmas or something, we would, we could drive over and do a one or two day trip to Disney. I had forgotten about that. Yeah. So you guys were eating lunch and we were at Animal Kingdom and there's always got to be a Disney reference on this show for some weird reason, but we were at Animal Kingdom on like, this guy's writing for me. I told my wife, I was like, let's just go over to Magic Kingdom. You were at Magic Kingdom and. I think we crashed your lunch. You guys were having lunch there at a restaurant and we just sort of barged in and sat there for a little bit and chatted because that was the only kind of time we had to, to meet up. So it was an interesting first the... meeting and place to, to meet for the first time. I don't remember the name of the restaurant, but I'm sure the Disney buffs know it. It's, it's the one that's exactly across from the Hall of Presidents presentation at Magic Kingdom. And it's like an old timey 1800s type of feel. Yeah, we were having lunch there. It's a funny first way to meet. I am excited for your story about visiting every country. And I thought it's always interesting to hear the background of a traveler, right? In my circles, if I go out into the world and I talk to the people that I know that are not from this hobby, I've visited 71 countries, Ryan, which is a lot of countries it's, by any standard. It's probably more countries than five or six Americans will visit in their entire life. And yet you and I know other people who have visited every country in the world. So it's funny in this hobby where I'm always... You know, it's nothing, right? And and that's great. I actually think defining ourselves by the number of countries that we visited. I'm also in the roller coaster hobby. People define themselves by the number of roller coasters they've been on. I get made fun of for being a blowhard once on the podcast saying I've stayed in thousands of hotels, which I've at least stayed in a thousand, but whatever. But the point is, it sort of seems outsized, but then in the hobby, it doesn't mean anything because there's people traveling all kinds of crazy places. One of my favorite things about the meetups is you can talk to people about really sort of exotic places to the average American. It's just normal and it's not braggy, right? If I talk about, oh, I've been to Hong Kong eight or nine times to an average person, and then you start talking about, oh, flying first class in Cathay and how the hotels are great there and they treat, it starts to sound braggy, even though it isn't. It's just, I'm a nerd and I love that stuff and it speaks to me and I want to share that. And that's what the community is so great for. And I have to imagine like traveling to every country in the world, and I want to get more into your backstory in a second, but Having the community, having other people, whether it's people like me who have only been to 70, a measly 70 countries or other brothers and sisters in the community who have been to every country just like you, it's got to be really nice because I still imagine when you're out sort of with normies, it's pretty difficult, especially when they hear that news. I have to imagine you get some crazy questions. Honestly, the most common question when people, when I say I've been to every country, the most common question that people ask is even 
X. Yes. I've been to every country. Even Uganda, that's a country. So yes, I've been there. Even Turkmenistan. Yes, that's a country. So I have been there. That is the most common question is that people ask. Even insert name of some country. So it's really funny, but it is interesting because there is actually a website that attempts to track all of the people who claim that they have been to every country called Nomad Mania. And they really got into this hobby of trying to track this. And I'll, and I'll try to make this story short, but it's some definitely insider gossip. But there was a trend definitely before the pandemic through this kind of sideways. But there was a trend where people were trying to enter the Guinness Book of World Records as the person who was the fastest to visit every country. Obviously, you're not seeing that much in these places because a lot of times they would arrive in some island nation that only has flights, not every day, kind of run out of the airport, snap a selfie of yourself, and then run back into the airport and get on a plane to fly to the next place. In terms of Guinness World Records, you were there. You can get a geo tag on the photo and stuff. But in terms of like actual, did you really visit the country? Did you really see anything? Not so much. So Nomad Media got into the habit of really trying to fact check a lot of these to understand, did this person really visit every country? Because Nomad Media is a promoter of like more authentic travel. And they actually break the world down into like more than 1300 different regions, such as going to Hawaii is not part of the same region as like New York City. Yes, they're both in the United States, but I mean, they are thousands of miles apart, culturally very different. Getting there is not the same process. So they really gone into the process of trying to separate who has really been to every country. And so it's been very interesting. I got an email from them just recently where they wanted records. Now that I have marked off in my profile that I've been to every country, they wanted proof. They said, if you want to be on our list of people who we verified, we want proof. So they asked for not everything, but some of the more harder to reach places or places that have really difficult visas or their flights are just really complex to get there. And so they asked for, they want to see stamps in my passport. They want to see pictures of me in those places. All of that is to say the trend of people accomplishing like the final country and being to every country is actually really accelerating. And there were actually 50 people, which is like a record number who finished their final country in 2023. And I fit, I was probably, I don't know, next to last, if not last since I finished just the week before Christmas. So it's been really interesting. I think a lot of that, like why is so much of this happening now? Obviously, I think uh, people see other people doing it and they realize that it's possible. During 2020, 2021, there were probably a lot of people who were like this close, but then couldn't go to certain places because the borders were closed during the pandemic. So a lot of those people who got semi-close have now finished all roughly at the same time because they were waiting on a couple of countries to reopen their borders. So it's been interesting, I guess, kind of becoming part of this small circle, because even though the trend is accelerating as far as like number of people who are verified that they really have been to every country, the number is around 300 total people in the whole world out of 8 billion people. In our hobby, we meet, I think, an exponentially higher number of those people than the average person does. I know firsthand numbers in my phone, people that I could call six people who have been to every country in the world. The average person probably knows none. And when I was boarding the flight to my final country, a couple of people that I know reached out to American Airlines and told them that I was about to get on this plane. I was going to have been to every country. And actually American Airlines made an announcement in the boarding area and called me up to the front and made an announcement. Hey, all passengers, this guy has been to every country except for one. And when our plane lands, this guy will have been to every country in the world. Not a lot of people do that. And then people came up and asked if they could take a picture with me and they were posting it on their Instagram. That's nuts. For the average person, that's very much outside the norm. But as you said, in our circle, I think we meet an exponentially higher number of people just because we're crazy about travel. I think the age of social media has definitely contributed to this. And 
I remember seeing a lot of the controversy around people being the youngest, right, to see every country and some of the stuff that went into that. And there was criticism of people. And I think it's just with any community, you have politics and you have drama and stuff like that. But I don't think it can be underscored. And the reason I mentioned my 71 countries, and I probably update it once a year and some years I don't get to that many, is because there's a huge difference between 71 and 193 plus a few extra member states. Like that's 120 plus countries that I haven't been to. My goal has never been to be to everyone, but there's a lot of difficult places to visit within that. And it's a, it's an experience, right? It's a life experience. As you said, 300 people in the entire world is nuts when you consider the size of it. And yeah, the fact that I know multiple of those people, I guess is even more nuts, but I embrace it. I think it's great. And I think people shouldn't worry too much. I mean, if it's a goal to go to every country, great. I think the vast majority of people, even in the hobby or listening to this show, they're not going to go to every country. That's not their goal. It's never been mine. For a long time, mine was a, a country for every year old I was, right? So I'm 41 right now and I'm doing pretty well. And admittedly, I should have gone to some countries when I was younger that I don't have the desire to go to some of the harder places because I did do some hard traveling when I was younger that I'm really not that excited about doing these days, but I'm glad to have seen the world. And if I get to 100 by the time it's all over, I'd be pretty happy. But I don't really think that matters. I just think people should pursue it for what they want. And unfortunately, I think social media and the whole selling travel and this whole lifestyle thing is it's jumped the shark a little bit as you, better than I do. Having been to every country, travel isn't all sunshines and lollipops and, and great things. And especially yeah, if you get out sure. of the Western world and some of the more um, developed you know, economies and countries, it can be very difficult. There's all kinds of challenges. I'd like to talk about that, but I think maybe we should go back a little bit. How did this become your goal? When did you decide I'm going to go to every country in the world? So I think it happened in two phases. I lived in Germany two and a half years when I was in the army. And I had been to a couple of countries in Europe before that. And so when I knew that I was moving to Germany, I kind of just set this goal. I'm going to try to go to every country in Europe during this time that I'm going to be living there because it's easy. You can just take a train to neighboring country. There's Ryanair and EasyJet. You can just go places very easily. Growing up in Ohio, it was very easy for me to just go to Indiana. Oh, that's like going from Germany to Czech Republic on a weekend. So I set this goal of, I want to go to every country in Europe. And I managed to do that earlier, I guess, than I had expected because a friend of mine wound up moving to Germany while I was there. And we would just, anytime there was a three-day weekend for a holiday or something coming up, or sometimes if there was like an overnight train and I could wake up in Prague, spend the whole weekend there and catch a night train back, we would just look for where haven't we been that's cheap this weekend? What's on sale? Flights to Scotland are on sale. Let's go. And so we just kind of started doing that. And then I had still a few months left of my time living in Europe. I started looking at like, where else could I go? So I went to Turkey and I went to Georgia and Armenia, I went to Egypt because those were all just very easy to get to from living in Germany. I was basically halfway between the Frankfurt and Munich airports. So I could catch a train to either one, depending on what had a cheaper or more direct route. I left Germany in 2014 and I had been to a couple of countries in North Africa, some of the Caucasus and all of the countries in Europe. And then I did some backpacking around Southeast Asia and Central America in 2016. And I kind of realized one day, huh, I think I've been to like half the countries in the world. Why don't I just go to all of them? And I can't really put my finger on when that happened or why that happened, but I just kind of realized if I'm halfway, I should just go to all of them. And interestingly, that was around the same time that I heard about points and miles. And so that definitely helped, especially because I had been to a lot of the easy ones at that point. It's very easy to just take a bus from Thailand to Cambodia very cheaply. But when you start talking about a lot of the islands in the Pacific that are a four hour flight away from anything, and they only run three times a week. Those flights are expensive. There's a lot of logistics involved. I had been to a lot of the easy places already. So it was really nice learning that there was a way to get to those places 
the airlines can charge whatever they want when they're the only show in town and it only runs a couple of times a week. People are going to pay it no matter what. So being able to re redeem some frequent flyer miles for that definitely helped me travel faster, I guess, or not necessarily travel faster, but cut the gap in between when I could do one trip to the next one because I didn't need to budget so much money and save up so much money because I was really defraying my costs using credit card rewards. It's funny to just randomly be traveling and then oh, I've been to half the countries in the world already. So I might as well. All of them. But that, I mean, that's what the hobby really opens up. And again, I don't think you would shame anybody. And certainly I wouldn't, who doesn't want to go to every country. My wife doesn't want to go to every country, which has been a, a funny part of the conversation as people say, oh, you've been to every country. Has your wife been to all of them with you? And no, she hasn't. And she doesn't want to go to every country. And that's, that's fine. It's not one of her travel goals. There are just some places that she doesn't have any interest in going. There are places I didn't have any interest going, but what would be the point of going to all but three countries in the world? Might as well go. But there were some that I was like, I was going to check the box and I saw some interesting things. But a great example is I liked Vanuatu, which is a country that my wife swears I made up. She'd never heard of it until I was going there. It's pretty popular for Australians. It's like halfway between Papua New Guinea and Australia. Has some nice beaches. People in the U.S. have never heard of it. Why would I fly halfway around the world to go to a nice beach? I can go to nice beaches down the road from me. I can go to a nice beach. So do I need to fly halfway around the world to go to one? No. So it's a lot of it is, I think, people's travel goals. And you should be honest with those, which is one thing that I think has always been really great about Miles to Memories that has really stuck with me. I really like the push for being authentic to your travel goals. You don't need to go where everyone else is going. So just because you see people redeeming their points for first class tickets to Bora and sleeping in an overwater bungalow, if that's not your goal, then you don't need to do that. Especially if you have a family with three kids, then it's going to be really tough for you to try to find open seats for Emirates first class and get all the miles that you need for that to fly around the world eating caviar. But maybe your travel goal is to bring grandma and grandpa down to see the new baby and you're happy redeeming your Delta Sky miles for that. Yeah, it's really just about traveling. And I think that's uh, always been my mindset is sharing that because I've talked about it pretty openly. I stopped sharing about travel with people that I know personally that are not travel people because I don't get any personal benefit out of it. And I don't mean I don't get anything back. I don't get the warmness inside and talking about travel. I don't get the reciprocation of my joy. Sometimes people just think you're bragging. Sometimes people are just asking crazy questions. And I love that the hobby does that. And I do think that the hobby needs to be better about being open to everybody who wants to travel, because I think anybody who wants to just get beyond what they've already seen is it's a beautiful thing, right? Whether it's just going to states you've never gone to, there's people that have just never left their state, right? And I remember my first big road trip, three months around the U.S. and seeing so much of it and just realizing how incredible this country is. And obviously over the years, seeing other countries and there's the average American just doesn't uh, think in that way. And I think the hobby sort of opens us up to that. And then the downside of that is we can start to be judgmental of others and say, oh my God, why are you doing that? Or why aren't you doing this? Or you're not redeeming or you're not getting enough value. People are traveling. They're opening That's up their world. use They're of your sky miles. Things. Yeah. It's like any travel is amazing. And I love talking about premium products. I love flying them when I can. If I can make it nicer along the way, that's great. And I do enjoy that. But if I could just travel, if I had to go back to 2007, 2008, my backpacking days going around the world, staying in hostels, staying in guest houses, doing everything the cheap way, I would do it because it is the travel. That's really what it is about. And everything you see, and it's the expected and unexpected. It's funny with uh, Vanuatu, I've been eyeing you know, cruises out of Australia and Vanuatu has been on my list. Maybe it's the weird name. I don't know what it is, but I know it's just beaches and stuff, but I've been wanting to go there and I, pro I probably will go on a cruise out of Australia uh, to get there. So it's funny. That's a country I probably will get to, but yeah, that most Americans uh, never the have. It's only underwater post office. So you can swim down there and send a postcard. Oh, there you go. That's, that's cool to hear. All of these countries, you must've had some really bad experiences. I mean, I know it's hard to rank countries as like your favorite and least favorite. What is a country that was probably the most challenging for you to visit? 
and one that maybe you didn't enjoy yourself as much, or it just hit you a little bit different? I actually wrote about some of my worst travel experiences while I was at Miles Areas, and I am pretty sure that some of those would still be in the top. Um, like the night that I spent in the jail at in Angola at the airport in the immigration jail. That was a pretty bad experience. Long story short, they told me that my visa allowed for two entries into the country. So I entered for a day, left, went to some neighboring countries and then came back and was planning to spend another two days in Angola before flying home. And then when I got there, they told me that my, my visa was used. And I said, I was told that I had two entries. And they said, no, you only got one and you've already used it. Do you have a different visa? No. So they put me in this jail because there were no more flights out for the evening to a, not to a place that they could send me to. There was a flight leaving in like an hour and a half going somewhere that I didn't have a visa for. So I wound up in this jail for 18 hours or something until they could put me on a flight the next day going home. But, you know, they took all my belongings away from me. The last message that my wife got was, I, I think I'm being kicked out of Angola. So that was a really bad experience. I'll add to that that it wasn't like in jail. It was like the immigration detention facility at the airport. It's like I had my own room with a bed and no soap or anything in the shower, but I was able to at least like rinse myself off. So it wasn't like a city jail full of a zillion people. Another really bad experience was being like semi-kidnapped by the police in Mozambique. Unfortunately, pretty much everyone I know who's been to the capital of Mozambique, which is Maputo, has had problems with the police there being robbed at gunpoint by the police. I was just lazy Sunday walking through the town square. There's like a big statue of their first president. And I went up to read this plaque on it. And then the police car comes out of nowhere and tells me that you're not allowed to go up the steps to the statue to read the plaque. And I said, never heard that before. Sorry. And they basically, you know, threw me in their police car and then went around like into some kind of abandoned areas. And I knew something shady was going on. And they basically told me that I need to give them $500 each to the three of them. I said, I don't have that kind of money. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen and whatever. And just like at a red light, I decided I'm just going to try to open the door and jump out. Luckily it opened, didn't have child locks or anything. And I threw the door open at a red light and just ran for the life of me toward anywhere that I saw people. And that was a bad experience. The police didn't follow me because I could expose them. They didn't want anyone to know what they were up to. But those types of experiences are rough because... It taints your perspective of a place. I'm sure that there are some really great things to see in Mozambique. I'm sure there are, but I didn't go see any of them after that experience. I only saw in the country what I had seen prior to that because I was very scared to go out of the Airbnb that I was staying at. I went literally to the restaurant next door for my remaining couple of meals. And that was the farthest that I ventured because it really messed with my experience and I was afraid at that point for other things to happen, especially because I didn't see them coming. So I probably wouldn't see them coming a second time. So those types of experiences, I think are really unfortunate because they took the joy out of visiting a certain place. And in the same way that I don't want people to, you know, have negative perceptions of me just because maybe they disagree with something that they saw in the news about the United States or something about our government. I'm not our government. And so in the same way, I don't want to judge the people from Mozambique for what happened with the police in one place at one time in one city there. But it soured my view and I don't know that I would go back. Because there are so many other places that I could go to where I didn't have those negative experiences. Yeah, I've run into similar things. And I think as you get further off the beaten track, you start to, to run into government officials, border guards, all kinds of stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable in situations that can really be dangerous. And the world is a dangerous place, right? I mean, we live in America in sort of a bubble. As much as there are definitely problems in America, right, it's the way we live compared to the rest of the world. Even places like Europe is sort of insane at some times. And uh, I've 
struggled over the years to balance some of that. I can imagine just everywhere that you've been, seeing some poverty and just devastation, war-torn areas. I'll never forget my visits to two specific cities, Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and Kathmandu, Nepal, because of the level of poverty I saw. And it fundamentally changed me. I can't talk about those places. I'm really trying to become surface level right here because I will start crying. I didn't leave those places the same as I came into them. And there's been other places too. Those are the two that have such strong emotional sort of feelings for me. But on one hand, I wish that every American could see what Port-au-Prince Haiti is and the poverty and the, the, the devastation and just the reality there. It's unlike anything I think anybody could imagine, especially so close to here. But how do you balance living in the U.S. and this life? And then you're seeing these areas that are tra- challenging, in some cases dangerous, some cases your own experiences are bad. You're trying to filter through to kind of give the benefit of the doubt to the people. And then you come home and you have this sort of lavish lifestyle, even whether you live here lavishly or not, the average person here just lives a lavish lifestyle compared to just about anywhere else in the world and especially developing countries. That's always been hard for me to jive. I think Port-au-Prince is, is an excellent example. My wife and I have talked about our visit there uh, a couple of times together. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you probably stayed at the same Marriott that we stayed at. Um, yeah. it's, it's one of few places in the country where you can stay on points. It's like a decent, comparable type of hotel to what you're used to in other places. Beyond the fence that surrounds that property, you're right, is just incredible poverty where people are attempting to sell anything that they can find just to get a little bit of money to put food on the table for their family. It is really tough to balance that because while we were there, like I almost kind of feel like a jerk for being there because the people who are working inside the hotel serving you these just, I wouldn't call it like it's not a five-star dining, but it's like decently nice restaurant inside the hotel. And you know that the people who are making that have zero chance that they would ever afford one of those meals. And given the current economic situation there, like they may even be struggling just to eat. And then they're coming there and serving me this just outlandish meal that's cooked up with ingredients that they could probably never afford. So it it was really tough. And that's a place that has really stuck with both of us as well, because it was really hard to feel like you could go enjoy anything because you felt, yes, on one hand, if we hire a driver to take us somewhere, that person is super happy to be getting some work today and, and receiving some money. Am I right now being that like rich foreign jerk who's here enjoying himself on top of our misery. And I, and I don't want to be that type of traveler at all. It's hard because you see the people that just lost everything. We went to a private beach kind of an hour away from the city one day and you had to pay to get in. And the fact that you had to pay to get in really kept the locals out. It was like 20 bucks per person to get into this nice private beach that had a restaurant and stuff. And the local people are just, you know, 99% of them can't afford to go to a beach that's 20 bucks to get in. We swam around and we snorkeled and it was a decent beach, nothing spectacular, but it was something that we had the privilege of doing that most people couldn't. And it allowed us to kind of escape from all of the devastation and the poverty. And it's simply a privilege for us to be able to escape from that. The people who live there can't escape from that. I got on a plane the next day and left. So it it is tough being in places where you're just confronted with that. And even as much as you may want to help, and, and some people want to help more than others, and some people would rather just look away or whatever, even as much as you might want to help, what can I do as just like one person who's here in the midst of this? It was definitely a place I think that stuck with us just the same way that you were saying. Yeah, that Marriott is insane. It was built for the Western executives, the American executives that were going down there for the NGOs to help people. So they build this Marriott. And like you said, it's sort of a prison because uh, there's these giant walls and it's a five-star hotel. Like you said, a very nice Marriott, certainly just bounds above it, any sort of thing that's on the outside of it and beautiful swimming pool giant walls to keep everybody out. I had a suite 
I had a one bedroom suite overlooking just poverty and devastation. It's a story I like to share because I like to share the perspective of sometimes we just have to be grateful for where we're born and understand that where we're born, just where we're born gives us an advantage over just about everybody else. And that doesn't mean we don't have struggles. Dumb luck. I have a friend who his name actually is Ryan also lives in Dubai. He's originally from India. So the amount of paperwork that he has to do to go to some of the places that I've been to where I could just show up and wave my passport and that's all I need. And he has to do just mountains of paperwork to prove that he has a stable job and sufficient income and that he's not trying to go into that country to stay there, that he actually plans to leave and go home and all of this kind of stuff. Just tons of countries that I can just waltz into just by sheer dumb luck of where I was born. We're truly blessed and lucky. And that experience in Haiti and and a few others have, like I said, changed me and made me want to help, but also realize I can't help, realize that life isn't fair. Also finding the gratitude to be, I don't know how I became the guy in the suite at the Marriott looking down over the other people. I don't feel like I deserve it more than anybody else, but it's the reality and just trying to make the best and trying to do your best for other people and expose yourself to other cultures and respect other cultures too. I feel like so much of American culture is the way we do things is the right way. And then the way everybody else does things is the wrong way. Who's to say what's right and wrong, right? I mean, if I go somewhere else, I try to respect the culture. And there are definitely things I don't like about other cultures sometimes because I'm American, but I still have to go back fundamentally to respecting that and understanding that just because something that I like or the way I do it is something that works for me doesn't make it right for everybody in the world. And I really learned, and I think travel does a great job of this. You don't have to evangelize your way of living or what you believe is true to everybody. You can really try to empathize and get in their shoes and understand their culture and why it works for them while also saying, yeah, I don't love that all that much. I think that's a a great point is that I think, unfortunately, sometimes people have this connotation that different means bad and it doesn't have to. You know, if you go somewhere and the way that they do things is different, maybe you'll like it. Maybe you'll think, hey, I wish that we did it this way back home. And other things you'll think, I'll be glad to go back home and get back to the way that I'm used to doing whatever that thing is. Maybe you go to Taiwan and you don't like that you need to take your shoes off to go in everywhere and you're happy to go back home and wear your shoes inside your house. Maybe it's different and you think, hey, this is actually a smart idea. Like, why am I tracking mud into my house? Then you make that change after seeing something that was culturally different. Just because it's different doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. It's just different. Kind of learning that in travel, I think, made a big difference for me is that a lot of times when someone says things are different, they mean it with a certain like negative connotation. And I don't think that should be the case. And I would love to be, I guess, maybe the evangelist for the idea that different doesn't mean bad. It just means different. I want to talk about something positive as we get to kind of close this out. What was your either favorite travel experience or your favorite country that you visited through this entire journey? What stands out the most? We went to Japan for the first time recently, actually. And I would say that it was definitely a a top, top country. We want to go back. Funny that Japan wound up so late in the list. We had tried to go before. We had tickets to the Olympics that then was canceled and postponed and visitors weren't allowed. So I think Japan really stuck out. Mexico is another big one for us. We go to Mexico decently often and love it every time and are just trying to go to different places and see things. And my wife and I are trying to establish kind of a yearly tradition now of going to Dia de los Muertos in a different location. We did it once in Mexico City. Then we went to Chiapas. This past year, we went to Puerto Vallarta. And now we've got a trip booked to Oaxaca for Day of the Dead this coming year. Because I think it's just a country that has so much interesting culture, amazing food, super friendly people. The culture is is just fantastic. And there are different cultural elements in the way that festivals are celebrated from this state to that state. And the food is a little bit different and the music is a little bit different. It's a country that I never 
get tired of going to at all. Another really surprising country for me it, that I guess if you think of traveling to somewhere that's just 100% unlike where I'm from, for me, that was Bhutan. Bhutan is a small country in the Himalayas, kind of between India, Nepal, and China. And in the 70s, they actually banned foreigners from coming into the country for tourism because they saw what was happening with all of the like backpacker trail in Bangkok and Vietnam and how now all of a sudden McDonald's is popping up on every country. And they didn't want that. So for a while, foreigners were basically banned from entering the country unless you were there for some kind of official purpose until they could sort out a plan for how do we welcome tourists while still maintaining who we are? And that was a very different approach from what was happening with a lot of the countries around them, which were building what I'm used to from home in order to attract me to come there and putting up Pizza Hut and Starbucks, all of these international hotel chains. So Bhutan was just because it took this very different approach. It's so unlike anywhere that I had ever been before. And I really enjoyed it for that because they just took a very different approach, said, we want to maintain who we are. We want to be true to our history and our culture. Rightly or wrongly, that also makes it more expensive to get there. In order to, I guess, keep people out, I guess is the best way to put it. They, they don't want the budget backpacker. They want a different type of tourist. So there's a $200 a day tax for being in the country per adult. Unless you're from like one of their neighboring countries where it, your tax is cheaper. But for those of us coming from Western countries, it's $200 a day just to be in the country. And that gives you nothing. That's just for you to not be in trouble for being there. It doesn't give you a hotel or any meals or any activities. The positive is that they have understood that they need to rekindle tourism after COVID. And that fee is cut in half this year. And next year, 2024 and 2025. So if you're interested in going to Bhutan, this year or next year is probably the time to do it because the fee is only $100 a day for while you're there. And like I said, that doesn't give you anything. However, there are two Marriott Bonvoy properties that you can redeem your points at, one in the capital and one in the biggest city. Capital isn't the biggest city. So kind of near the airport, you can redeem your Marriott Bonvoy points. There's also a really incredible small luxury hotels property that you can book with high points and free nights. It's a category five property. It was category six when I stayed there, but now it's cheaper. And it was absolutely a hundred percent. One of the best hotels I have ever stayed at in the world. If it's not the best, it's top three places I've ever stayed. Everything is included when you stay there. So all of your meals, massage services, fitness classes, the pool, guided meditation if you want to participate in it, like meeting with the medicine man on site to help you talk about how to be a healthier, happier person. All that stuff was all included. Most mountain retreat type places are going to charge you an arm and a leg for the spa services, but it was all included on a say that I booked with Hyatt points. And it was the cleanest country that I have ever been to. I've never been somewhere that I just walked outside and went, wow, this is what clean air feels like. So Bhutan, it's a place that I absolutely want to go back to. It definitely deserves a longer visit, but the logistics are a little more complicated due to the fact that they don't want their country to be overrun with foreigners and foreign companies setting up all these international fast food chains. But those are definitely some countries that stick out to me. But at the same time, there's been at least one positive thing in everywhere that I've gone. And I think that's important to highlight in travel as well. Some places will be your favorite, but there's at least something positive. There's nice people. There's great food to enjoy that you're, isn't something that you're used to. There's always, I think, at least one redeeming quality about travel. And I was really glad that I met someone recently. Crazy story. A guy named Thor Peterson from Denmark a couple months ago finished his journey. It took him 10 years. He became the first person to go to every country without flying. He left home thinking it was going to take him about four years. And 10 years later, he made it home, having visited every country in one nonstop journey without taking a single flight. And his big thing was, I want to show something positive about every country while I'm here. And he would always 
posts on his Instagram and Twitter and Facebook about something positive in every country. And he provided only positive feedback about every place that he went. Yeah, he had off the record. I bumped into him when he was stuck on an island in the Pacific. And he's like, yeah, off the record. I have negative things to say about every country as well. But there are plenty of people talking about those things already. There are plenty of people talking about how the hotels in X country are terrible and they're not up to my Western standards. But there's something positive and redeeming about every country. I think that's a great thing. And I know that and you probably get the same thing, too, when I'm talking to just normal people. The first question is, what is your favorite country and which country do you hate? And, and I will never say I hate because I don't have any country that I wouldn't go back to. I don't have any place that I absolutely hate. Humanity is amazing. Culture is amazing. And even in this world where we're so exposed to information all the time, you know, culture still is different, right? You go to different countries and they live in a different way. And, and that is just a beautiful thing. And as you said earlier, people are not governments, so we can't really get bogged down in what governments are. And the big question, I think, is there's a lot. I'll never go to that country because that government is terrible. Should you not go to that country just for that reason so you can learn about it and learn about the people? And I know China was just huge for me. I, the first time I went there in 2008, just seeing how, even to this day, how it's portrayed here, there's a lot of layers to that and a lot of politics, and I'm not going to get into that. But actually going there was an entirely different experience than I had ever seen on media or on the news or anything and just watching people live their lives and trying to get exposed to the culture. I've been to China so many times. I'm a, an outsider. I'll always be an outsider. I never will fully understand their culture, but you know, I try and that helps me. And I feel like it helps me in my day to day. And yeah, you're right. I mean, consumerism. I remember being in Hanoi or just in Vietnam in general in 2008. And it was one of the last countries in Southeast Asia to resist Western capitalism. There were a few Western hotels, but very few. There was not a McDonald's or a single Western chain in Vietnam in 2008. That's not that long ago. I'll never forget. And I think I've mentioned this on the show before when I did that cafe first out of Da Nang mistake fair back in 2019, I was in Hanoi airport and there was a Popeye's chicken and there are just every brand is there now, whether it's McDonald's all the way down to Popeye's chicken. And I say Popeye's cause it's not the first tier brand you would expect. It's not, it's just, it's yeah, not everywhere even. Yeah. 10 years. And you went from not a single McDonald's to tons of McDonald's, tons of every brand and Popeye's chicken in the airport. And that's not always good. Vietnam, different country. They made different decisions, but it's nice to hear about Bhutan keeping that and keeping their heritage and tourism is a huge challenge for a lot of these countries. It is a crush for a lot of them, right? The infrastructure, just all of these people visiting social media can expose a, like a single spot. What was that crazy social media story where people would go to that spot and they used a mirror to make it look like it was yeah, water? It was like some obscure in place, yeah, in right? Bali. Yeah. yeah, it was this temple. And my wife and I went to Bali back in October, just a couple of months ago. And we went to that temple one day and, and it was very touristy. We had to put our name on a list to, because there's a line to get that picture. And we arrived, I don't know, 15 minutes after sunrise and we were 94 on the list or something. And it was very rare that each number had one person. Each number was like two or three or four people. So every time there was 62, your turn, come to the front and, and four people would walk up and they all want their own picture and then they want a picture together and stuff. So we were there three hours and yeah, it's nuts. And it was a very touristy thing. I did it once. I, I don't think that we would go back, but it was like, oh, we're in the area. Let's do it. And, and I think it was worth doing because we were there. It's just interesting it, how social some media of those things. Yeah. can blow up because like social media puts a, a spotlight on this one place and all of a sudden it becomes like the thing it, it has positive and negative effects. The guy who collects the money for the parking lot, I'm sure he thinks that it's the greatest thing that ever happened because now all, he's charging all these extra cars for parking in the morning at this temple. But for the locals who actually want to use that temple as like a secret site, sure sucks for them. Tourism is a huge challenge in the world and it's just this growing industry and you can have some obscure post go viral and now all people are descending on a place that didn't have it. Bali, obviously a huge tourist place anyway, so they have the infrastructure, I feel, to handle that. But there's been other cases and the world has changed and we're 
more interconnected than ever. We're more exposed to each other's cultures than ever. We're more at odds than ever. I feel like these discussions and, and traveling is a great way to at least open your mind up to either reinforce your opinions or maybe allow yourself to change and be more open. One last thing before we go, just talking about Mexico. I think that's a great example of a country for Americans that get the, a bad rap. And if you just go to Cancun or those very touristy areas, you can really hate the country. I don't like those areas at all. I don't like the culture there. It's not Mexico at all to me as far as what Mexico is. I've backpacked. I'm obviously married to a Mexican, and so maybe I'm biased there. But I think Mexico City is one of the most culturally rich cities in the world. You say Day of the Dead. I mean, I'm obsessed with Day of the Dead. And back to a Disney Mexico reference. Mexico City has Coco, some of the right? best museums in the world. Yeah. And just the culture in the small towns, as you said, the food. I think there's two things with Americans is they get exposed to the very touristy places, which turn them off. And those aren't Cancun is lovely. I mean, the beaches are nice, but, you know, there's people trying to sell you things constantly and there's all that whole dynamic. And then they also get an idea about the culture from the culture that's come north, right? From the people who live here. And I don't even mean it's that. Like I just mean Bell. like, exactly, exactly. It's the Americanized version of, of what Mexico is. So they, I just don't feel like the average American has any sort of idea of what Mexico is and, and the culture and how it varies by state and by region and the foods and everything. And it's such a culturally rich country. And I'm glad you mentioned it because it's so close and there's so much to discover there. I think one of the best things that could be really great for people in travel is to go to a place that you think that you have like negative perceptions of. I think one of the biggest eye-opening experiences for me was when I went to Iran and I, I wondered how I was going to be treated there as a foreigner because we hear all these just like negative things about Iran and our country and their country don't have diplomatic relations. And our president tweets bad things about their president and their president tweets bad things about our president. And I just really wondered what it was going to be like when I was there. And if you want to go to a country that has the friendliest people in the world, book yourself on a flight to Iran. Hands down, the friendliest people that I have ever met in my life are in Iran. And they would see me and they could tell, oh, you're not from here. Where are you from? And no one was mean to me just because I was from the U.S. And that was kind of one of my concerns. Are people going to be mean to me because I grew up in the U.S. and they hear these negative things about my country talks trash about their country. Again, it was this, I am not my government and I don't want to be judged for those things in the same way that I shouldn't be judging their people for the things that their government says about where I'm from and vice versa. They had the friendliest people that I have ever met in my life. No one was mean to me just because I grew up in the U.S. And, and I really want to go back. It was a very eye-opening experience for me that I went to this place that sadly, I can't remember ever hearing positive coverage of Iran on the TV growing up in the U.S. But I went there and saw it from my own eyes. I agree. And I think that's a great mantra. And in these days where we're also set in our ways and the way we think and social media influences us. And sometimes we're in bubbles because of these algorithms and we're more, it seems like people are more and more sure of what they believe and everybody's at odds. And the best way to kind of blow your mind is to go somewhere that you have this very preconceived notion and then to find out the truth for yourself, let you do that. And Iran is one I've heard time and time again from travelers of how amazing the people are in the country is. And I haven't been there, but you're not the only one who's told me that. And that's one of the benefits of being in a group of travelers or knowing travelers is there's not a place on earth that I couldn't ask somebody about and find out about and hear great things and learn from them. Last question, your final country was St. Vincent and the Grenadines. How did that happen? Was that planned or was it just it happened was, to be the last one? No, it was on purpose. Once I decided that I wanted to go to every country and started getting into circles of people who had been to every country and they shared tips on how can I get to XYZ or I need a contact that can help me get a letter of invitation for this visa and that kind of stuff. And I would see people's reports and pictures and for good and bad. Here's me. I just arrived in my final country, which is Uzbekistan. And I'm from Canada and it's halfway across the planet. And I went there by myself and I saw that. And I was like, that kind of sucks. And then I also saw that people went to all the easy countries and then their, their final countries were so complicated and they're trying to get to Libya and Somalia and they're trying to get to Tuvalu, which just recently had problems with the runway at the airport. And so they were canceling all the flights for a while. And there's 
already get only served by one airline three three times a week, and then you cancel that. So then I also was seeing people who were trying to get to like their last country, and then they got denied for the visa, and then the flight was canceled or fighting broke out, and it's not safe to go there, and I had to scrap the trip. So I just a couple of years ago realized I'm going to save some easy ones for the end so that I don't have to worry about my visas, not going to get denied. Like St. Vincent and the Grenadines has a daily nonstop flight out of Miami on American Airlines. So I knew I was going to be able to redeem miles for the flight, the chance that something's going to happen or that I won't be allowed in. Those chances were pretty low. I saved two countries in the Caribbean as my final two countries because my chances of something going wrong would be very low. And also then because I wanted to invite friends and family to come with me. For me, it was a big accomplishment and I wanted to be able to share that with people. So two friends, my wife and both of my parents all were there with me, which was really exciting. I wish that some people who I know who visited their final country by themselves half a planet away, I wish that they had been able to have that experience of sharing it with people who are important to them. I was really glad that I saw early on that I should logistically save some countries kind of closer to home that are easier and that I can invite people to go to with me. So then it wound up being kind of funny because since there was like this group of us (laughs) and that my mom surprised us the night before by having made these matching t-shirts for all of us and it said final country, St. Vincent, December 16th, 2023. People in the airport were kind of asking us, what's up with these shirts? And then American Airlines made this announcement and stuff. And then my two friends, JT, who I work with at Award Wallet, and um, his wife, Katie, who works for the Points Guy, went with us as well. And they had flown in the day before because they weren't able to find any award space on the flight that we were on. So they were waiting in the airport lobby and they had made this big banner and said, like, congratulations, Ryan, been to every country in the world. So as people were coming out through the airport into the departures hall, people were stopping and asking them like, what's up with this sign and blah, blah, blah. So then some guy called the news channel and this reporter from the local newspaper came out and was taking pictures. And I wound up in three newspapers from St. Vincent and the Grenadines all talking about how my, I had been to every country in the world now with St. Vincent being my last one. None of them made the attempt to say he saved the best for last. And I really feel like they missed an opportunity there because if you're from your local newspaper, that's, you got to say that, right? If somebody would come to California where I live now and they say, I've been to every state now, of course, I'm going to say, oh, you saved the best for last. That's just what people do, right? And none of them said that. And I, I can't believe it. The local TV station even contacted me and asked if uh, if I had some time, but we just couldn't make the schedule. So it was really funny, but yeah, it wound up being on purpose just because I wanted to be able to share that moment with people. And I knew there was no way that my mom and my dad were going to get on a plane that's going to need three connections and it's going to take them 29 hours to get to, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of the Pacific. Like they were not going to come to Nauru with me. So I was really glad that I made that intentional choice early on. It was a great choice and it should be celebrated. You said 300 people, you're one of them, you made it. Something that most of us will never experience having been to every country, but it's a worthy journey and I'm glad you got to share a little bit with it, of it with us. I'm glad you got to have people around. I think that was a great foresight and decision to make it a little bit of a party and have people that you care about share it with you because as having lived it and I just know from traveling for so many years, Man, is that a long journey to get to 193 countries. Uh, glad that you were able to share that with us and very happy that you came on the show. And I did want to ask, where can people find you on social media or on the interwebs when they're not listening to this fine podcast? I work in a word wallet now, which you've mentioned. So people can shoot me an email over there if you want to ask about something weird that I said, or you want to tell me how wrong I am about something that I've said. But also you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Ryan Smith Travel pretty easy. I've never had to spell my name for anyone. One of the fortunate things about having such a just easy common name, Ryan Smith Travel on Twitter. You can follow me. I was on the, I was on Twitter last night giving away some expiring Hyatt Club Access Awards. Some people are going to have some 
nice upgraded rooms. You can find everything at milestomemories.com. That's all our posts, podcasts, videos. If you're listening uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, consider leaving us a five-star review if you like our content. And we still have our YouTube for Vegas stuff, youtube.com forward slash miles to memories. And of course, I'm at miles to memories all over social media. Thank you again, Ryan, for coming. Great episode. Love talking travel. Love nerding out about travel with you. Not a ton of people in the world I can do that with. And well done. Congratulations again. I can't wait to see what your next big goal is to top this one. The next one is now my wife gets to choose where we go. Lots of amazing trips ahead. Now you can revisit all those places and you don't have that hanging over your head. Amazing. Thanks again for coming. Thanks everybody for listening. Talk to you next time. Oh, 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 oh,